Well, good evening, everyone. You can all be seated. I want to thank you all so much for joining us this evening uh, on Good Friday as we come together to, uh, to worship on this day, this day that, that we as Christians recognize as a day that is, in fact, good, yet a day that uh, for those outside of the faith, for those who aren't Christians, um, might severely question, might really wonder why it is that we would call today Good Friday when we recognize what it is that took place on this day so many years ago. But we recognize it as Good Friday, not because uh, our Lord and Savior, not because God incarnate was crucified on the cross only, but because of what that crucifixion brought for us, which is what we're going to be talking about today. If you have your Bibles, I'm going to go ahead and turn to Romans chapter 3. That's where we're going to be primarily today is Romans chapter 3, looking at a few verses from there. We're going to be talking today, uh, in fact the title of my sermon, which is not on the screen, I looked up there like I was, it's not on the screen, but the title of my sermon today is titled, Just and the Justifier. Just and the Justifier. Justice is... A word in our world today, here in the West, that is a bit of a buzzword, right? We hear this word justice, and probably if we pulled everyone here in this room, something different might come to your head when I say the word justice. It's a word that is, is used a lot uh, in today's day and age, whether it comes to racial justice, or whether it comes to reproductive justice, or whether it com comes to um, environmental justice, this word Justice is used a lot in our world today. It is a bit of a buzzword. Um, even in saying the word justice, what probably happened in this room is that different opinions of what is just and what's not came into people's minds. In fact, if you were to select one topic uh, and talk about what is just, uh, what justice would be surrounding that topic, you would probably come up with very different answers. Because there's a a lot of disagreement about justice. As much as we use the word a lot today here in America, there's a lot of disagreement around it. That was unfortunate. Um, sorry, Robert, if that was me. Um, but there's a, there's a lot of disagreement, a lot of confusion around this word justice. And it's really unfortunate because I think every single person, even if we disagree on definitions, even if we disagree on what is just and what isn't just, I think every single person in here would agree with me when I say that justice is a good thing. It is a good thing. It is a right thing. No one in here is standing up saying, I am for injustice, right? Not a one of us would stand up and say that. And yet, in the world today, concepts of justice lead to so much disagreement. And discussions about justice and injustice lead to so much disagreement. The reason is that most of the time, these discussions, these, uh, these arguments, these debates around justice are absent of God. That they are absent of the one in whom true justice is found, and that is God. True justice, and we know as Christians, that true and right and good justice is found supremely in God. There is no injustice to be found in God. God is the author of justice. All that God does, all of his decrees, all of his works are 
just. He is just in everything that he does. And for those of us that are in Christ here today, this is cause for great hope. And it's a reason for joy, right? In this, we look forward to a day when God will set right all that has gone wrong in this world. It is something that we look forward to, that we hope in, that we celebrate and look forward to. Because we look around the world around us, each and every one of us, and we can see injustices all over the place. So many of, of the Psalms and the Proverbs, even in Scripture, or Ecclesiastes, are written with a recognition and understanding of injustice that we see in the world around us. We see wickedness or wicked people, evil men, thriving while, while good people are suffering and being punished and being put down. We see uh, all kinds of examples of injustice around us, and we as Christians look forward to a day when all of these things will be made right. In Christ, we can say, along with the psalmist in Psalm 58, surely there is a reward for the righteous. Surely there is a God who judges on earth. Or with the prophet Isaiah in Isaiah 61, 8, where he says, For I, the Lord, love justice. I hate robbery and wrong. I will faithfully give them their recompense, and I will make an everlasting covenant with them. You see, we, whether Christian or not, love and desire and and expect justice to be done. Look with me then at Romans chapter 3, verse 26. This is primarily the motivating verse for everything that I'm going to be talking about here today. Is Romans chapter 3, verse 26. Romans chapter 3, verse 26. Paul says this. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. I want us to focus in and, and think heavily about this verse tonight. We're going to be looking more at Romans 3 as we, as we move along to here tonight. But specifically, this verse should cause us pause as we recognize uh, that, that what is being claimed here by Paul of God is that in his work of redemption, in his work through Jesus Christ, the propitiation for our sins, God is both just, but also the one who justifies, the justifier. The concept of justice is not foreign to God's economy. In fact, justice finds its origin with God, right? As human beings created in his image, this is why we care about justice, because God is just. Because God is for justice. This is why humans even set up what we call justice systems in order to punish evil and to uphold goodness and that which is right. But one of the problems is that most people in the world today think of justice purely from a human perspective. We think of it from a human perspective and then want to take this idea of justice and apply it to God and hold him to our standards of what is just and what is right. Do we not? Is this not what happens in the world today? We see this all the time, don't we? We can have conversation after conversation with people saying, I just don't believe that it would be just of God to do X. Or would a good and loving and just God do this? 
just recently, I had a conversation just not very long ago uh, with someone who's not a Christian uh, and who made the statement, I just don't see how it's just for God to send a whole group of people to hell for something that they do. What he's doing in that is taking his idea of justice, of what is just, what is right, and applying it and holding it as God's standard. Holding it as the standard for God and then claiming that if God were to do that, he would be unjust. But in reality, what we must first do is we must first seek to understand justice from God's perspective. And then apply that standard to ourselves here on earth. But the thing is, when we do this, when we take God's standard of justice and apply it to ourselves, to humanity, there is a glaring problem that exposes, that is exposed, that smacks us in the face. And it's seen plain as day in the Bible. So, so let's take this perfect standard of God's uh, justice, his just righteousness, and apply it. Let's take it into the courtroom, okay? This is a a common analogy that's oftentimes used. When we think about justice, the courtroom is the place where justice happens, right? Here on earth. It's it's in the courts. The expectation is that the judge, the juries, would come to a conclusion that is just, and justice would be served. And think now, as, as us, as human beings, sinners, standing guilty and deserving of being punished. We stand before God, we stand in this courtroom guilty, every single one of us, right? Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Each and every one of us is guilty as we stand here in this courtroom. And God, being just, right, should punish the evildoer, those who are wicked. If we were in a human courtroom to ever see someone who was guilty of, say, murder, in a courtroom, and the judge were to say, yes, he's guilty, but you know what? I just really don't feel like dealing with it today, so I'm going to say, don't worry about it. I'm just going to forget like this ever happened. What would be the conclusion that we would draw about that judge? He'd be unjust, right? Justice would not have been done, but rather an injustice. While one who was guilty of committing this crime was just ignored the crime itself was ignored justice was not served so then we know that our god who is perfectly just he is perfect in his justice and in his righteousness would never let sin go unpunished god is perfect in his justice he will not allow the evildoer or the wicked to go unpunished psalm 68 1 through 3 says god shall arise his enemies shall be scattered and those who hate him shall flee before him as smoke is driven away you shall drive them away as wax melts before fire so the wicked shall perish before god but the righteous shall be glad and they shall exult before god they shall be jubilant with joy the wicked shall perish and the righteous shall be glad the psalmist says But here is where things begin to go sideways and get extremely complicated. Because as we are going to see here in in the book of Romans, chapter 3, that what is painted for us here in verses 9 through 20, that Paul paints a picture for us 
that creates a devastating situation that all of us find ourselves in. All people find themselves in a really, really tough pickle when we read Romans chapter 3, whether Jew or Gentile in the original context Paul is writing. But also even today, male or female, blue collar, white collar. All of us at this point, when we read Romans 3 as we're about to do, should find ourselves in a really serious dilemma. Romans 3, 9 through 20 says this. What then? Are we Jews any better off? No, not at all, for we have already charged that all, both Jews and Greeks, are under sin. As it is written, none is righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks for God, all have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Their throat is an open grave, they use their tongues to deceive. The venom of, of asps is under their lips, their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood and their paths are ruin and misery, and the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. What we see here in this picture is a devastating reality for human beings, and that is that all people fall into the category outlined in verses 9 through 18, that all people are unrighteous. Every single one of us is wicked, this list really covers everything in our lives as well. In verses 9 through 12, what is covered is the basic depravity of all people. In verses 9 through 12, that none is righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks for God. All have turned aside, together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. So from the get-go, the basic depravity of all people is established in these verses. That each and every one of us is unrighteous, turning it, going our own way, not seeking after what is good. This is the default setting for all human beings upon birth, is unrighteous. Verses 12 through 14 covers all of our speech. He says, their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of asps is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. So then our, in our speech, we are unrighteous. We are evil. We are sinful. It covers all of our actions in verses 15 through 17. Their feet are swift to shed blood, and their paths are ruin and misery, and the way of peace they have not known. So in all of our actions, we are corrupt, we are wicked, we are sinful. And then ultimately, it gives a summary of all of this and the reason for all of it in verse 18. There is no fear of God before their eyes. And I think this last point especially needs to be emphasized in our day and age today. It is the lack of fear of God that exists. We live in a day today and, and in church culture where, where the fear of God is undersold. It is not given its due. In fact, people are so quick, when, even when discussing the fear of God, to say, oh yeah, 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 but this is not like fear, like be afraid type fear. This is just fear like, oh, we should respect God because he's big and powerful and, and you know, loves us so much that he like deserves our respect. And I would argue with you that if you are in this state of unrighteousness and we have just read that the wicked shall perish before God, I think there is an element of fear as in being afraid that should exist. When standing wicked, sinful, unrighteous before a holy, 
and righteous and just God, you should be afraid. Fear of God is something that should be established, that should be recognized. In fact, that was the main problem that Paul outlines in Romans 1. In Romans 1.21, he says, For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. They had no fear of God. The God who created them, the one who could destroy both body and soul in hell, they had no fear of him. It was a failure on their part to understand what is true of God, the holiness, the, the righteousness, the severity, the justice of God. But the bottom line is that every single part of us has been corrupted by sin. Our words, our deeds, our thoughts, our relationships, every aspect of our lives has been touched, affected, distorted by sin. And more than that, verses 19 and 20 makes clear that there is no hope of rectifying the resulting broken relationship with God through any form of works. Paul says in 3, 19 through 20, Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be stopped and the whole world may be held accountable to God. For by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight, since through the law comes knowledge of sin. Through works of the law, no one is justified. This broken relationship that exists between man and God cannot be rectified by obedience to the law. And this is what the, many of the Jews thought, right? That by obeying Jewish law, but that by living up to the customs that were expected of them, that were outlined by God, they would be acceptable to him, that they would be justified. And this is not the case. Even by way of the very law that was given by God, perfect obedience to that law cannot save you. Despite the fact that it's impossible, right? But this applies not only to Jewish law, but also the law of God that's written on our hearts. Each and every person has the law of God written on their hearts. They know the truth, but they suppress it and reject it. And there is not a single ounce of obedience, even to the law written on our heart, that could ever save us, that could ever rectify this broken relationship between humanity and God, our creator. Simply put, every single one of us is wretched sinners. We are all born in a state of unrighteousness and rebellion to God. Evildoers. Every single one of us. And so on the, as we really begin to see the state of things then, and look at what's going on here, on the one hand, you have a perfectly holy and perfectly just and perfectly righteous God who has said, over and over again in his word that the evildoer, the wicked, the unrighteous will be put to death, punished, damned for all of eternity. You have that God on one hand. And on the other hand, you have all of humanity, which is made up exclusively of evildoers, wicked, and unrighteous people. So that now we are left with the question, what hope is there for any of us? God has already said that he will punish the evildoer, the wicked, the unrighteous. In his perfect justice, he cannot let it go unpunished. And now we see that each and every one of us is that. 
We are wicked. We are guilty of sin and deserving of his wrath and his unrighteousness. And as Romans 3.20 says, nothing we can do can change that. Not a single thing. And that's the exact conclusion that Paul wants his readers to end up at. Because remember what Paul says in verse 26. That God is both just and the justifier. These things that seem to be in contradiction right now as we consider how God could justify these people who are wicked evildoers and yet uphold his perfect justice in punishing evil. This is the question that Paul would have us come to. How can God justify anyone? How can he pardon them? How can he declare them to be righteous when we know that they are not? When we know that we are not? How can he do this without compromising his perfect justice? How can he remain a good judge that does right and let the evildoer be pardoned? Go unpunished. And I hope you're already there, but if you're not, let me tell you, the answer is the cross. The cross of Jesus Christ, the atoning death of Jesus Christ on the cross is the answer to how this can happen. God's wrath, his justice, does not go unmet. The wrath of God is poured out upon Jesus Christ on the cross on behalf of all who are united to him by faith. That is how God can be just and the justifier. That is how God can pardon sinners while punishing sin. He does so not by forgetting our sins or by ignoring them, but by punishing Jesus Christ, his son, as our substitute. By punishing his own son, God incarnate, instead of us, we now are declared righteous. Our sins have been paid for in Jesus Christ on the cross. God is just in that he has punished sin. And he is a justifier, a good and loving God who adopts us because of Jesus Christ's righteousness that has been given to us. Isaiah 53, verses 4 through 6. I don't think you'll ever get through an Easter here without hearing a little bit of Isaiah 53. Not as long as I'm preaching, but Isaiah 53, 4 through 6 says, Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken smitten by God and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid upon him the iniquity of us all. This is for Christians and non-Christians alike to recognize we all need to hear this that sin always demands a cost no sin will ever go unpunished when we when we consider the forgiveness that is available in jesus christ and know that in him we are pardoned which we are that does not mean that god has just swept our sin under the rug and forgotten about it every ounce of sin and wickedness, and rebellion in our life will incur the wrath of a just God. 
Look what Paul says in Colossians chapter 2, verses 13 and 14. He says, And you who were made dead in your trespasses and the circumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. Church, this is great news. But there is a danger in recognizing what we need to, there is a danger here that we have to avoid. And in reading this and thinking that the debt just went away or was ignored. That somehow we snuck through without God noticing our sin or our wickedness. Or that God just stopped being just. That's not what happened. Paul continues on in this passage in Colossians chapter 2. And he tells us exactly how the record of debt was canceled. He says, we'll, we'll start from the beginning. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. The cross provides the means that God has used to remove the debt from us that we owed because of our sin through our faith in Jesus Christ, the record of debt that stands against us is removed from us and placed on Jesus Christ on the cross. And his righteousness is then credited to us so that when God looks at us, he does not see our sin, our wickedness, which Christ has now bore on the cross, but he sees a righteousness that is not our own, but is Christ's. And it is upon that basis that he declares us to be justified, righteous, able to come into the throne room of grace, not by our own righteousness or our own good deeds, and in spite of the fact that we know we don't deserve it, but through Jesus Christ's atoning work on the cross, his righteousness is now given to us. One pastor named Jonathan Parnell said it this way, he said that sin in God's economy will always ultimately be punished. Either one day in the hell of a burning fire or that one Friday in the hell of a Roman cross. No sin goes unpunished. God's justice remains intact as his wrath is poured out upon sin. Either in Christ on the cross or in an eternity in hell by you. Yet, sinners are reconciled to a holy and righteous God and declared righteous in his sight through the atoning work of Jesus Christ on the cross. Our propitiation, our satisfactory, sacrificial lamb. In this way, God is both just and the justifier. The question is then, as we conclude, who is it that God justifies? It's not everyone that God justifies. It's not the entire world that has been justified before God. We know full well that, uh, that the Bible tells us that broad is the way that leads to destruction. Jesus teaches over and over and over again through the New Testament of the reality of hell. It is a very real place that people are going to each and every day because of their rejection of Christ. 
So it is not everyone that has been declared righteous. It is not everyone that has been pardoned through the blood of Jesus Christ. It is only those who have faith in Jesus Christ. As the end of verse 26 in Romans 3 tells us. So that he might be just and the justifier of who? Of the one who has faith in Jesus Christ. If you are in this place today. And what I have just said is foreign to you. If you don't know what it means to have faith in Jesus Christ. Let me encourage you. You know that you have sinned. You know that you are a sinner. And what I would tell you now is that right now you stand under the wrath of a God that, des that you deserve to be punished by. You stand under the wrath of a holy and just God who does so not as some sort of megalomaniac, some crazy person who just hates everyone, but as a God who is, God who is holy and righteous and must punish the evil doer. But that does not have to be your fate. If you put your faith in Jesus Christ, you gain access both to God as Father. Jesus Christ's righteousness is credited to you. And you can now stand before God who is holy and still just and still righteous. And you can stand before him not as a sinner deserving of wrath, but as a child saying, Abba, Father. Let's pray. Lord, as we today think on the reality of the cross, I pray today, Lord, that the weight of our sin would be ever-present, that we would see and feel the reality that was the cross, the punishment that Jesus Christ bore on our behalf. Lord, when we think that our sin is not that big a deal, when we think that it's light, when we think that it's, that it's nothing major, Lord, I pray that you would redirect our attention to Jesus Christ on the cross. The punishment that he endured. The fact that he was smitten and stricken and afflicted on our behalf. Lord, healing is available for us in Christ Jesus. And all of us in this place who are sinners, which is all of us in this place, need that healing that is available by his stripes. And Lord, I pray that today, if there's any person in here who has never yet trusted in Jesus Christ, who has yet to be declared justified before a holy God, I pray that today would be the day when they recognize the reality of their sin, the reality of your holiness, and Lord, that they would turn to you and cry out for mercy and forgiveness and put their faith in Jesus Christ for their salvation. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. If you would stand with me. We're going to close with satisfied in you.